check, check. All right, let's do this. So, I uh, got a little something weird today. Um, welcome back, everyone. Hello again. So, a few things. First, uh, audio should be a little bit better than yesterday. Um, yesterday was kind of tweaky. I think we've got some of the settings fixed, so hopefully this works better. We'll keep trying to perfect it. Um, two, Twitter is down right now, like seriously down, entirely down, 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 down. So I'm actually recording this and I'm going to uh, just push it live later. Um, so sorry for anyone who's commenting. Maybe I'll try to hang out in the comments when this is going on. Um, three, I'm going to try to do something uh, each day where I do a little bit of a recap uh, if there's any relevant news from the day before. So yesterday we talked a little bit about um, Libra going to Washington and how that, that kind of regulatory political work has now begun. And so uh, we got more color about uh, Jerome Powell, the Fed chair's testimony. Um, and it was interesting. They asked him directly uh, if a cryptocurrency were uh, to become prevalent throughout the globe, would that diminish or remove the need for reserve currency? Um, and this is Alex Kruger, Kruger Macro, for those of you who don't know, is quoting Powell, things like that are possible, but we haven't seen widespread adoption. If we do see it, you could return, you could see a return to an era in the United States where we had many different currencies in the so-called national banking era. Pretty interesting, right? And then uh, the kicker, this is the one that I think got people most excited. Almost no one uses Bitcoin for payments. They use it more as an alternative to gold. It's a speculative store of value like gold. So that narrative is clearly hitting. Um, and I think there's a, a lot you can argue that that's a good thing when it comes to uh, whether how, how Bitcoin is insulated from maybe regulatory intrigue. So that's pretty cool. We're gonna keep an eye on that, but let's move on to uh, the three at three today. And we are starting with um, pretty big news from the world of compliant token sales. So uh, Blockstack announced last night that it received um, the first ever SEC qualified token offering. So they used uh, a Reg A um, Regulation A plus uh, tool that the SEC offers, which is basically a, a, a kind of a, a distributed crowd sale type model. I think it's up to $50 million. Um, it was designed to allow non-accredited investors to participate in investing activity, right? And so um, Blockstack has done a ton of work to get this actually uh, working for them. So um, just looking through the announcement again, the, the key thing here is this question of um, who gets to participate. So uh, under the SEC Regulation A plus framework, Blockstack will conduct a $28 million cash offering. It will be open to any purchaser who would like to take part in it, uh, subject to a small number of geographical restrictions. This means everyone from general enthusiasts to longstanding Blockstack supporters to accredited and non-accredited investors alike in the U.S. and globally can participate in the sale. So this is really um, big, I guess, on the level of uh, as we see companies like Binance and um, and Polo and a bunch of others pull out of the U.S., uh, you have Blockstack, who's creating kind of a legal path for retail investors, not just accredited investors, but retail investors to participate in a token sale. Um, Pomp pointed this out. Uh, he said, here we go. Blockstack just approved to hold the first regulated token offering. Finally, non-accredited investors can participate. Um, you have uh, Catherine Wu, um, who points out just how much work this is. This might have been anywhere between $1 and $2 million of 
uh, funding or just in legal fees to get that that compliance. Um, you have uh, uh, just a lot of different reactions that are pretty excited. Um, you did have some people who are kind of less excited, right? So you have folks like Matt O'Dell uh, who are, imagine congratulating someone for getting regulatory approval to dump their worthless centralized token on retail investors. Um, so that's the, the kind of the set of folks who aren't excited tend to be just kind of down on tokens in general or they're wondering what the deal for retail investors is. Um, so, so Gabor, who uh, works on Bitcoin ETFs and is well known for that over at Van Eck, um, pointed out that those retail investors are gonna have to pay a multiple from earlier sale holders. Um, this follows the pattern of any time basically retail investors get to tokens though, right? And I think that a lot of the folks who are arguing, uh, you know, that this is a positive, as you can see here, at least it's transparent. ICOs didn't even do that. Um, it's a step forward. So, you know, that that's kind of one take. Um, and then interestingly, right after this news uh, came up, um, Catherine Wu points out again that at actually another uh, company, Props, or YouNow rather, so YouNow, for those of you guys who don't know, the live stream video chat service, they've been around for a while actually, uh, but they have a Props uh, token and it was the second project to be kind of um, compliant under this rege. Um, so uh, Chris Berniski uh, called this out, Catherine Wu pointed this out, and it's, it's clearly showing that we're kind of in a phase where um, the, the lack of clarity on the part of the SEC about whether there are going to be different types of rules for token projects is causing the projects that are trying to be compliant to have to go to extreme lengths to do so, right? You're talking about millions of dollars of compliance fees uh, or of legal fees trying to get that compliance um, and, you know, kind of pretty strict regulations on what's going to happen next. So I think that the takes that are worth just kind of uh, keeping in mind, you know, uh, outside of just the excitement that there is a, a different model that we're going to see live in the wilderness and see how it works, um, two takes that I thought were really interesting. So you had Jake uh, Travinsky, who said, we've overcome the hurdle of whether the SEC will approve crypto reg A filings, but we've yet to see if there's an actual market for regulated tokens. I'm excited to see how this turns out, but I'm skeptical that reg A plus works long term for projects of meaningful size. Um, Drew uh, Propel Forward makes it a little bit clearer. A few thoughts about Blackstack getting its A plus approval and cleared for sale. Approval sets up the best market test we've seen in crypto about whether the FAT protocol thesis and to test if legal access to closed network payment instruments are marketable. So what he's really getting at is this point. ICOs did in the unregulated and underregulated world. So this sets up the question, do ICOs that are to be used as payment instruments on closed market environments only have value because they can be pumped and dumped on unregulated exchanges or, as in this case, where there are no frictionless or friction light exchange facilities available, do they have value because people want to use or expect, uh, or because people want or expect to use them? So the point that he's making is that because you're not going to see these stacks tokens uh, and the props token flowing across unregulated exchanges in the same way, um, because there are going to be kind of more restrictions around them, you're going to really get to see whether they have value because people actually want to use them, and that's a that's a really important test for this market. Um, so that'll be interesting to watch. I'm certainly going to keep an eye on it. Um, sorry for going a little bit long on this one. I just think it's a it's a pretty notable moment, um, and so uh, wanted to give it its proper due. But let's move on actually now to number two. 
So I woke up this morning, I saw uh, David Nage, who's over at Arca, posted Turkey with GDP of 850 billion is now developing its own digital currency. The 11th development plan from the presidency of the Turkish Republic stated that the blockchain-based digital central bank money will be implemented. So this comes from, uh, let me see if I can find it. Yeah, so uh, Cointelegraph uh, posted an article, Turkey put central bank digital currency on new economic roadmap. Um, that came out, I think, a couple days ago and just kind of found its way into the news recently. Pomp tweeted about this this morning. Countries known to be developing their own central bank digital currency, China, Turkey, Uruguay, Bahamas, Sweden, Ukraine. Um, eventually, every country will be in the game. Uh, I think that the interesting point about this is where this fits in the overall, uh, the overall kind of um, idea of, uh, of cryptocurrencies, right? Like, how exciting is this? Uh, and what does it mean? Because on the one level, uh, it's clearly, um, it's clearly interesting, right? It's technologically interesting that there is this new uh, currency paradigm that's that's being developed. On the other hand, uh, it's, these are very different phenomenon than um, than permissionless networks, right? Uh, so I think that there's really interesting uh, tweet that I saw that I think encapsulates this. China, Turkey are working on a national digital currency. I bet that in five years, three types of digital money will coexist. Open source decentralized cryptocurrencies, digital fiat currencies, corporate currency. Um, and I think that that's kind of true, right? You're seeing this, uh, not bifurcation, I guess trifurcation in the market of on the one hand, you've got these kind of permissionless currencies like Bitcoin that are operating outside and around the normal structures. On the other hand, you've got uh, these sort of digital fiat currencies which are starting to emerge. Um, and then on the third, you've got obviously these kind of corporate coins like Libra and JP coin. Um, and I think that this is gonna be the paradigm that we're in and it's important and it's gonna be important to understand how different these are, how they function differently. I mean, this is like the Coin Center report that we saw a couple days ago about the differences between Bitcoin and Libra are effectively pointing this, this kind of uh, the, making the contrast clearer. And this really matters, particularly in understanding which of these are tools for surveillance versus tools for freedom and liberation, right? And it's it's totally possible that all of these paradigms can exist in the same world, but they're gonna function really differently and we need to keep an eye on just how different they are. Um, so that, that's something I'm keeping an eye on. Every time that we see a new CBDC, it's worth keeping uh, keeping an eye on, I think. And so uh, that's, that's why I wanted to share this. Um, you know, I'm not necessarily optimistic that these are uh, really good updates uh, until Bitcoin gets a little bit more um, kind of anchored in, in the in the larger ecosystem in the mass market, but it's it's happening whether whether we like it or not. So with that, we'll move on to the third and final note for today. All right, so uh, IDEO has launched a crypto startup studio. Um, this is interesting. I think I just, I just wanted to mention this quickly. I saw a ton of people chattering about it in part because I think a lot of uh, a lot of different companies are involved. So partners, Amazon, Deloitte, Fidelity, crypto data firm, Masari, Ethereum Foundation, Stellar Foundation, 
Um, all, all kind of helping build an incubator idea, IDEO collab. So IDEO, for those of you who don't know, is a really famous design studio. They've been involved in some of the most famous consumer products in history. Um, they had a long relationship with Apple. They've been interested in crypto and kind of involved with crypto uh, for, for a while now. And the, the, the startup studio is, is uh, it's not an accelerator necessarily like um, something like YC where they get equity or anything like that. It's free to participate and it's basically just they're trying to give them lots of resources. And so I think that there's uh, there's a couple things that I thought were, were notable about this. I'll throw up um, some of the folks from, from IDEO posted about it as well. So you had Dan uh, and you had Ian posting a little bit more about it. Um, I think that what they're trying to do, at least in my sense, is just continue to provide resources to up the quality of projects as a whole, right? And so to the extent that there's a common thread between this news and maybe like the block stack news, what we're seeing is a shift from projects that are really kind of like spun up overnight in order to capitalize on uh, you know aggressive retail investor demand to projects that are um, thinking long-term, thinking bigger, not necessarily just thinking about tokens, although some might be, but also just trying to build the infrastructure and, and kind of applications that the, the crypto ecosystem needs to function as a whole. Um, I think that's a positive thing net net. I think that that's why maybe we're not seeing so much quote unquote alt season um, happening right away because uh, you know, I mean, and maybe this is a little bit of wishful thinking. We've moved on from the strictly pump and dump trade. What's the next Bitcoin? Let's move fast. What can we hype kind of mentality that characterized the 2017, early 2018 boom into something that's a little bit more long horizon. Again, that could be uh, overly optimistic, but the whole point about narratives is you're trying to will things into existence. So that's what I'm going with. Um, so anyways, friends, uh, sorry for not being live today. This is a weird one, um, but hopefully, uh, hopefully you get to enjoy this anyways, and uh, I'll try to hang out and we can chat while it's going on. We'll have a little watch party. Uh, anyways, thanks for hanging out as always, and I will see you tomorrow.